Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert-Hack. This season, I am covering cases from Venice, Italy, and tonight I have several ghost stories to share. I'm going to be doing sort of like a medley of Venice ghosts, Veneto hauntings, uh, Veneto being one of the regions in Italy that Venice falls within. Uh, These stories don't have enough info to warrant a full episode, which is why I'm doing kind of a medley, but I still wanted y'all to know where to investigate when you visit Venice. I've been watching a lot of Conjuring Kesha, and it's put me in the mood to ghost hunt. So I may... I may find a haunted place to visit. You know, it's October. I I want. I already have tickets to go to a haunted house. Maybe I will find some haunted, real haunted houses or areas to check out in New York City this month. But I need to find a ghost hunting partner because I don't know if I want to go alone. Maybe. I did pass. I drove past the Amaville Horror House over the summer. And that was fun. You know, it looks like your very standard suburban house. And I may cover that eventually, so I don't want to get into it. But there's a lot of there's a lot of info about Amityville Horror. And I was with my family, and we love checking out haunted stuff like that. But maybe I'll grab a friend or someone to go ghost hunting with me, paranormal investigation style. It's always fun to have someone experience the paranormal with you. Then they can back you up when you say you saw some crazy shit. Because everything I've experienced has been just me, myself, and I witnessing it. And a lot of people aren't really believers. You know, a lot of people fall within this sea. If I see it, I'll believe it. And I understand that. But I just saw the movie Smile the horror movie and it was creepy and I jumped and I never jumped during horror movies. So that's how, you know, it's a good horror movie. However, I didn't give a damn about any of the characters cause they were all driving me insane. Every last one of them, the decision-making was wild, wild. And I don't want to spoil anything because it's still in theaters and you should definitely see it in theaters, but If you know something bad is going to happen, why are you sticking around? It doesn't make any sense. And this better be the last horror movie I see where a boyfriend, fiance, husband, whomever, doesn't believe their significant other when she tells them that she's saying some shit. That stuff is so irritating. Because it's like if I'm dating somebody and someone's like, hey, I'm seeing ghosts. Or I'm seeing the devil. Or someone's stalking me. 
whatever it may be, my first gut reaction is going to believe them. I'm dating this person. Why would they lie to me? So, or I'm married. It's just wild when significant others don't support. It's wild. And it happened like crazy throughout Smile. Everyone's like, girl, you're crazy. And it's like, she's a therapist. I think if anything, she'd be able to see that in herself. But I don't know. Go see it though. It's really good. Creepy. There's some good scenes. Some, oh, I jumped. I never jump. Trying to think of other horror movies I jumped in. Sinister I jumped when I saw it in theaters. Um... The Strangers, my all-time favorite horror movie, and one of my favorite horror, or one of my favorite movies in general. I don't think I jumped in The Strangers, but it is, it creeps me out the entire time. Same with Vacancy. I don't think I ever jumped in Vacancy, but also one of my favorites. I don't know. It doesn't happen very often. I'm really drawing a blank, but Smile got me. Smile got me. Okay. Let's get to these Veneto ghost stories, paranormal stories, because they're not all ghosts. But the first story I'm going to get into is a haunting of Palazzo Grazie that sits on the Grand Canal in historic Venice. Today, the mansion is an art museum highlighting contemporary art. It's a huge, huge I mean, they call it a palace for a reason, Palazzo, but it's a huge three-plus story building that has anything from sculptures. The One of the images I saw was a two-story sculpture. It was gorgeous. Uh, they also had paintings, mixed media, etc. Also, if you're in New York City, definitely check out the Met. I didn't realize how like massive the Met is and how much giant art they have i don't know how else to say that they also have like two-story sculptures and they have a fucking burial like tomb building from egypt i believe like they just have giant rooms filled with a bunch of shit it's great love love every second of it i just also just love art museums okay Palazzo Grazie, the original owners, were the Chini family in the 1500s. It was purchased by Alamano Aragon Hokepan, I believe is how you pronounce that, in 1605. And by 1655, the Grazie family moved in. The house you see today was built between 1748 and 1772 and designed by Giorgio Massari. It was the last palace built on the Grand Canal before the fall of the Venetian Republic. It is also the largest. The palazzo was sold in 1840 and passed through many different hands. And in 1857, Baron Simeone de Sina added a scenic garden on the side of the building. Almost a hundred years later, the building became part of the International Center of Arts and Costume. The garden became an open-air theater, and in 1983, it was purchased by the Fiat Group, yes, the car, 
and went through a healthy restoration. Several more renovations following, including putting a roof on the theater, making it enclosed, and updating a lot of the inside to keep it intact, and so on. Okay. There isn't much about the people who own the building, including the Grazzi family. However, there is a ghost of a young girl that haunts the halls of this gorgeous palace. The custodians of the building have repeatedly heard someone calling their name. They've also experienced someone whispering in their ear, but when they turn around, no one is there. And during the restoration of the building in the 80s, a watchman, he was casually walking through the halls when suddenly someone called out his name. Now, that is freaky as fuck, and that's why you'll never catch me being a security guard anywhere, especially late at night, when you're supposed to be the only person in the building, and then suddenly you see something out of the corner of your eye, or you hear something, or someone, that's kind of how, that is kind of when I saw my ghost, as I was the only person, and when you see something move, you're like, what the fuck, I'm the only one here. It's creepy. So he, I'm sure hearing his name being yelled from a dark hallway, and he didn't have his like flashlight up or whatever, because he's walked those halls a million and two times, so he has it on him. So when he hears his name, he, of course, pulls the flashlight out to see who's there and shined it around. But no one, no one. He didn't see a single soul. Of course he didn't. And I'm sure he knows the ghost stories. So he's probably like, oh, probably a little girl, whatever. But when he turned back around, flashlight in hand, he noticed there was a huge hole in the floor where workers during the restoration hadn't put up any safety signs. So he truly believes the ghost of the girl saved his life because if he, if she didn't yell his name, he would have fallen down a long way. I don't know. I think, I believe he was on the second floor. So he would have probably at least broken something. If not hit his head, a concussion, who knows? It would have been bad. Anyway, it's said that the young girl that haunts the Grazia Palazzo threw herself or was thrown from one of the balconies of the courtyard after suffering violence. So no one knows who the young girl is, but if you visit, keep an ear out for this little girl. Again, she likes to whisper in your ear, shout your name. Maybe you'll see her in the courtyard. Maybe you'll see her in a window if you're standing in a court in the courtyard. Who knows? But keep a lookout. Okay, so the next story has to do with the bell ringer of St. Mark's Campanile, uh, which is the bell tower. It is the huge bell tower in St. Mark's Square that I've talked about previously. The one all the prisoners were watching as they were being executed between the two columns that bell tower. The bell tower that people went to drink wine under the shadow in St. Mark's Square, that bell tower. The bell ringer of that bell tower, and I 
don't necessarily have a date for you, but he, I guess, was the bell ringer for his entire life. And he was abnormally tall. So tall, in fact, a scientist offered him a very large sum of money in exchange for his skeleton when he died. For research, of course. So the bell ringer, I don't want to call him greedy, but he accepted the advance payment. And instead of saving it, he spent his money on drinking and partying. Which, if you look at a lot of athletes or celebrities in general, it's what they do all the time. I get it. You come from like not a lot of money and then you're thrust in the spotlight and you have all this kind of money. It's like, what else are you going to do? Especially, usually athletes are pretty young. So it's like, let's drink and party, spend all our money. But for the bell ringer, it's ultimately what caused his death. And so the bell ringer, his ghost is so upset that the money he received for his body was the cause of the failure of his body. He's so upset that he haunts the Brissana Court, which is next to the Basilica of SS Giovanni and Paolo. That church is one of the largest in Venice and housed every doge's funeral after the 15th century leading to 25 doges being buried in the church. I don't know why he is in that court and not in St. Mark's Square. But today, the bell ringer's ghost can be seen begging outside the church for money to buy back his skeleton. And apparently, his skeleton is now part of the Natural History Museum in Venice, where some say his skeleton leaves at night to ring the 12 bells of midnight. And may I don't know where he died or like if he died from stumbling out of a bar or if he died in his apartment or I'm not sure where he died. So maybe he did die near where he's haunting that church area, which would make more sense. But I don't know, again, if this is a lesson of greed or alcoholism, but if you see a ghost asking for money, maybe give him some change. Let him buy his body back. He's got to be abnormally tall. Don't just give money to some random ghost. We're talking, the bell ringer was like, I'm assuming at least seven feet tall. Back then, maybe he was a little shorter. Maybe he was like six feet tall because that would have been crazy to them back then. Okay, next. Venice can get pretty foggy, especially in November. So in November of 1904, a thick fog rolled in unexpectedly. A vaporetto is a public water bus that was taking people home after work, traveling from the historic islands of Venice to the nearby island of Burano. So this water bus got stuck in the fog near the island of San Michele, which is Venice's cemetery. And as the Vaporetto was rounding the cemetery, it ran directly into a gondola, splitting it in half. 
So there were two gondolas traveling the opposite direction to downtown Venice from the island of Murano. People aboard the Vaporetto began pulling the passengers of the gondola onto the water bus, but the fog was so horrible that five women were lost to the lagoon. They recovered four of the victims' bodies, but sadly a young girl named Giuseppina Gabrielle Carmelo was lost to, lost to the lagoon. And today, if you're in Venice on an extremely foggy night, you'll see a floating coffin with four lit candles on its corners, making its way through the lagoon near the cemetery. And it's to remind boat drivers to be vigilant while they're driving, especially through fog. Because there is no stopping boats. Like, Venice runs. That's all their transportation, pretty much. So, you can't not boat, but we got, you gotta be careful. You just do. Okay, next. In a square near the Rialto Bridge, Romare Square, to be exact, was the scene of a horrific murder. In 1598, Doge Marino Grimani was walking with his guards when they heard a woman scream nearby. Grimani and his guards rushed to Romare Square to find his niece screaming for help. She was being chased by her husband, who was accusing her of cheating. And honestly, some things never change. The guards went to defend the woman, but before they could fend off her husband, he grabbed a sword and cut his wife's head off. And I can only assume he grabbed one of the guard's swords, and if that's the case, that guard needs to be fired. Fired. Grimani was struck with so much shock and grief for his niece that he sent the man with his wife's head in tow to Rome to be punished by the Pope. When he arrived in Rome, the Pope wanted nothing to do with him or the crime, so he was sent back to Venice to face his punishment. But on his way to prison, he escaped, again, with his wife's head, and jumped into the Grand Canal, and his body and his wife's head were never found. And if you happen to be in Romare Square when the wind blows just right from the north, a body will wash ashore, gripping onto a head. What a horrible scene to walk up on. Ghost or no ghost? A dead man with a woman's head in his arm? Horrible. Also, I bet that head smelled so bad if he had to go all the way to Rome back when doges were a thing. Ah, that, months. I bet that took months. And then he was sent all the way back to Venice. Again, months. I, the, the stench. The stench. I don't think scented candles were created back then. And I don't think it would have helped. I don't think Febreze would have helped if they had that. 
They must have shoved so many goddamn flowers around that head. They must have. That's horrible. Also, that poor woman. Bury her. Let her have her head. Like, yes, punish the man, but like, let her rest. It's too much. Y'all, I found out Angela Lansbury died today, and I am horribly sad over it. It's like heartbreaking. I grew up with Angela Lansbury in my life. Beauty and the Beast, Bedknobs and Broomstick, Murder, She Wrote, watching clips of her in Sweeney Todd on Broadway. I just am such a huge fan of hers. Dame Angela Lansbury, the icon, the legend, the star. She deserves to be an EGOT winner. Incredible. Incredible. Anyway, on to the next story. A beautiful young woman named Tosca, which is a great opera, by the way. It has nothing to do with this story, but Tosca is a wonderful opera. Anyway, Tosca was betrothed to marry a much older man because he was very wealthy. And she came from poverty. Classic story. Classic. No money. I'm marrying a wealthy person to escape my poverty. Whether I love them or not, I got money now. I can't tell you the the amount of times people have been like, you know, Blake, you can love someone wealthy as much as you can love someone poor. And I agree. I need to love someone wealthy. It's just in my nature. I just do. So if anyone is wealthy out there and listening, let me know. But the wealthy older man, I don't have a name for him, but he obviously knew he had a beautiful young bride to be in his life and didn't want to give her up. But unfortunately, while they were engaged, the young woman fell in love with a young hunter, and they escaped to Venice from from Treviso, as you do. It's, I don't understand why we can't just be up front with people, just break it off. It'll be hard, they'll be sad, but just break it off. And then go marry your young, beautiful hunter. I mean, if he doesn't have money, I'm assuming this hunter doesn't have a ton of money, but you will never go hungry, girl. And that's gotta say something in itself. Upset, the wealthy older man followed the young couple to Venice and killed the hunter in a jealous rage. He then turned to talk, which, okay, pause. He must have snuck up on him and killed him because you're going to tell me this old man was able to fend off someone who kills living beings for a career? I'm not buying it. He must have snuck up behind him and stabbed him or 
again, I don't, this was like 1300s, guns weren't really happening, so I've only had to assume that he either like shoved him off a cliff, but I'm going to assume he stabbed him and came up from behind him and did it because he would not have survived otherwise. Anyway, after killing the hunter, the wealthy old man turned to his ex-fiance Tosca and cut her ring finger off, stating that he couldn't have her, no one could. And I will, again, never understand that thought process. You don't get to choose how other people feel. And you have tons of money. Go find another poor, beautiful woman to marry. There's plenty out there. The wealthy old man returned to Treviso, and Tosca, in Venice, took her own life on September 22nd, 1379. So if you see a ghostly woman wandering in a wedding dress in Campo San Piero, at night, because it's always at night. It must be Tosca looking for her ring finger with the wedding band attached. Okay, so the next one isn't really about a ghost, but more creature. So my brother, who was a guest on the podcast a couple seasons ago, is a zoologist. And recent this week I told him I was going to start my career as a cryptozoologist, and then we can have this fun little back and forth about legendary extinct or unknown animals that may or may not be real. And he can tell me about real animals. That'd be fun, no? In the lagoon lives the monster of the black waters, a creature that only surfaces on moonless nights in Venice when the water is extremely dark and you can't really see in it. Not that I I think you can see in it now. I don't think it's like Bahama water where you can see your toes. It is a lagoon, so it's a little murky, like lake water. But at night, it's like pitch black. So that's when this creature appears, I guess. Also, there's a song from the musical Love Never Dies called uh, Beneath the Moonless Sky. It's the Phantom of the Opera sequel that no one ever knows about, but that song, we find out Christine's kid is actually the Phantoms and not Browls, so it's kind of gaggy. But it's also just gorgeous music. That song is so beautiful. I I would love to sing a duet with that one day. Anyway. The point is, a lot goes on when there's a new moon. And in 1933, when two cuttlefish fishermen were headed back to shore after a full day of fishing, a huge creature rose above the water surface and swallowed a seagull resting on top of the water. He swallowed it whole. He must have been hungry. Especially if he only comes up during moonless nights. That's like once a month. Yeah. I guess he's eating fish in the lagoon, but 
they claim to see this huge monster eat a seagull whole. And there aren't many things that can eat seagulls whole that are living in the lagoon. It's not the ocean, you know? It's said you can see the creature swimming just off the tip of Punta della Donna Dogana. Punta della Dogana. Uh, which is an art museum on the south side of the island. And apparently, the serpent looks similar to Loch Ness Monster. So let me grab a paddle boat, because I will go find that thing. I... Do I believe in the Loch Ness Monster? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Do I believe in the Monster of the Black Waters? Don't know. But am I going to go look and see if I can find it? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's the same with ghost hunting. Do I think these ghosts in these houses all over the fucking world, do I think all of them exist? No. Do I think ghosts exist? Yes. So am I going to see if I can see a ghost in a haunted house or supposedly haunted house? Of course. Why not? Hunt them down. Palazzo Martello del Camello is a house on the northern side of Venice owned by, or once was owned by, three three silk and spice merchants. Their names were Rioba, Afani, and Sandi. They were very wealthy because they pulled scams on people such as trying to sell a Venetian widow low-quality textiles for a marked-up price. Again, some things never change, but why are we preying on an old widow? That is so sad. This poor woman. It just makes me think of Jen Shaw from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City who pulled a huge scam, and we don't know all the details yet, but scamming older people? Why? Retirement is so hard in itself. Most re- most retirees don't have enough money to live their entire lives. So why are we taking from them? I know it's easy, but come on. Come on. And this old widow, this old Venetian widow, was the wrong person to sell shit for, to. Or at least scam. They didn't think she would notice the expensive price but she had inherited a tailoring workshop. So instead of walking away and just saying, well, they got me, you got me, gal, the woman cursed the money she paid to the men, and when they touched it, they turned to stone. And you can find these men made of stone. There is a... Sior Antonio Rioba, his nose fell off. The original nose of, you know, his stone nose broke off, as do a lot of sculptures' noses because it's not supported by a lot, you know? It's a flange. That's why, yeah, you'll see a lot of fingers, noses, peni, if I'm being honest. A lot of that will be missing from sculptures. Toes. Well, Not as many toes, but because, you know, they're only attached by one point. And when they're old as fuck, things happen. But his nose was replaced by a piece of iron. So 
If you touch his iron nose, you will have good luck in your business affairs. So they say. But, I mean, they had good luck until they met the wrong person. But isn't that how it always goes? All these scammers. Okay, moving on. So when you're, when you're in Campo de Albazia at night, it's always at night, remember, you may stumble across an elderly man carrying a huge sack on his back. And no, I'm not talking about Santa Claus. Whatever you do, this is more a warning than anything. Whatever you do, do not look him in the eye. He will beg you for help. He will beg you to look at him. But you're better off walking away because if you don't and you look him in the eye, he will turn into a burning skeleton and frighten you to death. He will catch fire. His flesh will melt off and you will be frightened to death. What an intense image. It's, from, it's giving Ghost Rider, that Nicolas Cage movie. I think he has like a chain whip or something. It's giving Ghost Rider. The old man in question was named Bartolomeo Zenni, who died in a horrible fire on May 13th, 1437. His neighbors were asking for help. And to save their children from the fire. But Bartolomeo was so greedy, he grabbed his sack of money and jewels and tried to escape the fire instead of helping these children get out. All I'm thinking is of Fagin from the book movie musical Oliver grabbing all your jewels and money and leaving the kids to fend for themselves. I mean, maybe if he helped the kids, he would have survived. I don't know, but he did die in the fire. So he he probably went back. He's like, ooh, I'm really close to escaping, but all my jewels and money, I can't leave that in the fire. So he probably ran back into the house to go grab them, and then his exit route probably was blocked by flaming wood beams or whatever, and he got stuck and died. This is all speculation, but it makes sense. But yeah, that's why he's a burning skeleton, because his he died in a fire and his flesh melted off. What a horrible way to die. It's like, if you could pick any way to die... I'm watching The Patient on Hulu with Steve Carell, And the last episode, he was like, I want to die of old age. And I'm like, that sounds lovely. As long as I'm all there. Like, if mentally and physically I'm good, then old age, dying of old age sounds fine. Fine. Though my family has, like, crazy long genetics. Like, my grandma's sisters are both mid-90s, and the one is still kicking, lives alone. She's in a bowling league forever. Like, she's doing it. And I'm like, girl, good for you. 
she's all mentally there. She's physically there. I'm like, live it up. My grandma is too, but she's like 10 years younger than her sister. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break here and I will be back with some paranormal stories from the region of Veneto, Italy. So all of those were in Venice. I'm sure if you just wander the city, you'll stumble into some paranormal shit because the city is so fucking old. There's got to be a ghost in every building. Uh, there's got to be at this point. It's there's got to be. So when I visit Venice, I will update y'all. When you visit Venice, let me know at haunted hometowns podcast at gmail.com. Until then, grab some chocolate, grab a glass of wine. I just had chocolate with Barolo Kinata, which is like a dessert wine. It was really good. But do your thing, grab a snack, and I will be back in just a second. Okay, we are in the region of Veneto. So again, Veneto is, it was once ruled by the Republic of Venice, but it reaches from Venice on the coast to northern, if you go north to the Alps, which is just over the border of Austria. If you go a little west and south, you hit Verona, which is where Romeo and Juliet takes place. Anywho, this next story takes place in the foothills of the Italian Alps, just outside the tiny town of Romano Dezzellino. There is a small mound named Dante's Hill, after the famed poet Dante Alighieri. The town Romano Dezzellino was named after a medieval lord who in the 13th century ruled over a lot of land that is now Veneto. Ezzelino III ruled over Verona, Padua, Vicenza, etc. for around two decades and was known as a cruel tyrant possibly the most notorious of early tyrants. And Dante hated him. So much so, he was written into Dante's epic poem, Divine Comedy, in the seventh circle of hell. Etzelino is submerged up to his eyebrows in boiling blood, reserved for those who had been cruel to their neighbors. Boiling blood all the way up to your eyebrows, which means you can't see shit. And you're just suffering in boiling blood. I hate when it's over 80 degrees outside. I can't even imagine boiling blood and your entire body is submerged in it. Horrible. At least his eyebrows didn't burn off, though. That's something. Today, Etzelino's ghost 
is trapped inside Dante's Hill. And two devils imprison the ghost in this secret cave while he longs for power once again. And apparently Dante's Hill is beautiful and gives such a great view of the surrounding area. Like the photos make it seem fantastical. It's gorgeous looking. But apparently there's a secret cave inside the hill. So maybe check it out. Also, I love that the like there's two devils imprisoning the ghost. Everyone gives hell and the devil a bad name, but it's like, if you're not an ass, then you got nothing to worry about. The devil's there, or at least in Christianity. He's there to accept horrible, horrible people. It's like, don't be horrible then. If you're afraid of the devil, then you're a shitty person. But... This next story is truly gaggy, at least for me. Luigi Porto was an Italian author from the 16th century who was living in Vincenza, which is a city just east of Verona. And Luigi was horribly wounded in a war, so he retired to the countryside to write. And while living in his house in Montrose Vincenzi, Mantros Vincentino. I really have to say these Italian names like in my best Italian accent because otherwise it's impossible to say these words. Mantrose Vincentino. That's the little town he was living in. Anyway, he could see two beautiful hilltop castles where he found inspiration for a novel. He eventually finished the novel, and dedicated it to his cousin, whom he was in love with, but he could never be with. The name of the novel? Historia novellamente ritrovata di due nobili amanti. In my opinion, that title is far too long. We can cut it down. But in English, it's basically a newly found story of two noble lovers. I don't know why we needed a newly found story. I mean, two noble lovers. Love it. Great. The plot was set in Verona, and its leading characters were Romeo Montecchi and his love, Giulietta. Capuletti. That's right. Shakespeare's famous play, Romeo and Juliet, is actually based on Luigi's novel of two noble lovers that was published in Venice in 1531. And the play, Romeo and Juliet, was published in 1597. 60 plus years later. Now, I'm not shocked to learn that Shakespeare ripped off a story, not in any way, shape, or form. Do I love Romeo and Juliet? No. Did it make Shakespeare a ton of money? I doubt it. But it's super famous. And if we're going to talk about it in English classes through 
several grade levels, then we really need to be talking about how it came from a man, Luigi Porto, and not William Shakespeare. This is an Italian story. Luigi Porto spent hours and days and shit to write a good novel, and everybody paid it dust. Instead, we're going to celebrate this play. But it's like, come on. Let me read a newly found story of two noble lovers, and I'll see if it is better than Romeo and Juliet. I'll have to find an English copy because I am not fluent in Italian that way. But I just wish we knew. I just wish we knew. And Luigi Porto wishes everyone knew too because he became so upset and bitter that the play did so much better than his novel that Luigi haunts his home in Montrose Vincentino. He haunts his house because he's so mad that his book didn't do well. And I'd be pissed too. I would be mad as well. Like if Dolly Parton released I Will Always Love You and it didn't do, and it didn't hit number one, and then Whitney Houston strolls along and hers is anyone ever talks about, I'd be pissed. If I was Dolly Parton, I would be pissed. Like I wrote that song, I record that song, and yours is doing so much better than mine, it's frustrating. As an artist, it's frustrating. But Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You did reach number one twice before Whitney Houston's ever did. So she's sitting pretty. Also, speaking of Luigi, have y'all watched the the new Super Mario movie trailer? I... I'm torn. The animation looks amazing, but can we hire a real voice actor to play Mario? Because it's not sounding right. It's not sounding right at all. Actually, comedian uh, Matteo Lane gave a really good impression of Mario, and I would love the entire movie redone using his voice. You don't have to change any of the animation or anything. We just have to hire Matteo Lane to re-record. That's it. Okay, next, there is a tower in the city of Padua, just south of Venice. Originally erected in the 9th century, the tower, called La Toronga, was rebuilt by none other than tyrant Ezzelino III da Romano, who used the tower as a prison, of course just like Fiona, I'm assuming. And it's said around 10,000 people died in the tower during his reign. 10,000 people. That sounds like a little exaggeration, but that's a lot of fucking people. I mean, they have, they said he was a horrible, horrible person. I mean, he's burning, he's burning in hell. He is in boiling blood. So, What are we to expect? But that's a lot of people dying in this tower. Among them was a knight named Sarpendone. He ended up falling in love with Ezzelino's wife, Selvaggia. And when Ezzelino saw her seducing the knight, he locked 
Sarpendone in the tower and basically just threw away the key so he would die. That was after torturing him, of course, but he let him starve to death. And the tower today is even taller than it was back then and houses an observatory and astronomical museum. It also houses Sarpandone's spirit, which still roams the tower today, probably looking for his love. But it's also said that you can hear screams coming from the former prison, just like walking by. And I'm sure the night security guard for that museum, if they have one, has plenty of stories to tell. Plenty. Hearing screams come from a building is unnerving, though, because it's like, is it haunted or is someone really dying in there? Because... And the police need to be more open to that. If I call the police and I'm like, hey, I think someone's being tortured in there. I've heard screaming. And they're like, you're crazy. There's no one in there. Then you need to think that it's ghosts before you think I'm crazy. How about there? Let's start there, please. Let's make that reform. Anyway, there's a lake called Leghetto delle Elefante Bianco. Small Lake of the White Elephant. Locally, it's called the hissing or whistling lake for the noises that seem to come from the mountain lake. The lake is near the town of Valstegna in the Alps of northern Italy. It seems like a small lake on the surface, but it is in fact one very deep because, because it is an underwater cave system. And at least eight people have died in the lake since 1971. Either from falling in or apparently the lake is very, very cold. So maybe some hypothermia. I know some scuba divers have died from, you know, again, my brother is a scuba diver. He has certificates and stuff. So we were talking and he was just talking about how dangerous cave diving is because you'll get lost. You get lost. You run out of air. And it's so dark down there, especially in caves underwater. It's hard to see. It's just very dangerous work. So I know at least one scuba diver died in the lake, but I'm sure more have. At night, you may hear hissing, whistling, or screaming coming from the lake. And there are rafting trips you can do that'll take you to the area. But locals do warn you not to go alone. Because it is on a mountainside. All the stone, like the big boulders and rocks around the lake are slippery because they're wet. When it rains, it gets flooded. And so it's just, yeah. People say it's cursed, pretty much. And you can hear hissing and whistling and screaming from the lake, which is paranormal indeed. And lastly, I'm going to leave you with a church in Venice you can go visit that may be haunted, but no one has seen anything, and that is because it is pitch black. So the, tur- the church of San Simeon Piccolo in Venice 
so we're back to Venice. It sits on the western side of the historic islands, right in front of the train terminal, welcoming visitors to and from the city. And it was built from 1718 to 1738, housing a huge, gorgeous dome on top. You can't miss it. When you leave the train system, it is right in front of you. And like most of the churches in Venice, San Simeon Piccolo has a crypt. This crypt has 21 chapels housing centuries of parishioners, meaning their bodies. Eight of them have never been studied, so they stand sealed and unexplored to this day. And you can visit the crypt. However, when you go, the people running the church, they will only give you a candle as your light source to wander through the crypt. Either you wander alone or you're with whoever you brought, but you each person is only given a candle and no guide. So you are in this pitch black basement with your little flame. Hope you don't breathe too heavy. Hope it's no one's birthday. Hope there isn't a gust of wind that came from nowhere. Because it, it's pitch black. And you do have to get pretty close to the walls to see the ornate paintings. There's one of The Last Judgment. There's an Old Testament painting. And apparently they're beautiful. But again, it's too dark to really see anything. But many people who have visited get goosebumps and strange feelings. You may see odd shadows, but a lot of that could have to do with the candle and or your own mind playing tricks since you can't see very far in front of you. I would personally love to visit because I love being in the dark. It sounds like heaven. As someone who showers in the dark every day, it sounds magical. Yes, I shower in the dark. And for those of you who are giving a weird look, it is the most peaceful moment of my day. I look forward to it every morning. Just sitting there in silence or with music playing or whatever. But in the dark, like you, it's your shower. You know where everything is. You don't have to worry about it. Try it. Shower, bathe, whatever. People bathe with candles on all the time. Get a candle going. But yeah, this crypt sounds amazing. I mean, visiting any crypt is kind of inherently creepy because it's dead bodies. But visiting a crypt in the dark with just a little candle, especially when a good chunk of those chapels haven't been investigated. So who's to say what's behind those sealed off rooms? Obviously dead bodies, but maybe there's more. Maybe one of them is a tunnel that leads somewhere else. This is giving angels and demons now like a full treasure hunt. Not treasure hunt. That's national treasure, but same thing. It's like clue leads to another clue leads to another clue. And guess what? I'm following all the clues because what's more fun than a scavenger hunt? A treasure hunt, ancient relic hunt, that's fun, that's fun. 
Well, that's all I have for you tonight. I wanted to give you a lot of ghost stories that I didn't get to cover about Venice and Veneto uh, before we head into our last episode of the season next week. Again, I have a very special guest joining me to talk about one of the most haunted places on the planet. It just happens to sit in the Venice Lagoon, so get ready for that. And remember, photos for tonight's episode and all episodes are on Haunted Hometown's social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, etc. You can also find guest info and upcoming news there as well. Please send me your paranormal experiences at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from a mummy breathing while it sits behind a glass case in a museum to your nebbiolo changing from wine to blood right before it touches your lips. Let me know, and I will be back in a week for the Venice finale, because everyone loves a motherfucking ghost story. The music you hear is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and on all music streaming platforms at T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on social media, specifically Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. He's an amazing artist and stylist. He's fantastic. I got my information from Wikipedia, Veneto Inside, Rossi Writes, and Venezia.net. <laughs>